Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Andrew, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 97 unread books on my shelf. With me is my friend Toby. Hey. And our friend Camille. Hi. uh, Who is back and being our guest host this week. Thank you very much for being here, Camille. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be a guest on one of my fave podcasts. Oh, Camille. Oh, shucks. (laughs) Come on now. I want you guys to like me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's too late we edited okay. yeah you better be careful or we'll edit out all your good points and no. only leave in the silly things you say well how are you we haven't i mean obviously we haven't seen you in a long time um i'm okay i feel like probably like most people i'm just getting a little stir crazy and being in la a little terrified that uh we'll never get to leave our apartments again um but otherwise i'm good i've been reading a lot and trying to keep healthy <laughs> in this weird time yeah I, I feel like i i listen to a fair amount of podcasts and people that's like a, a common question these days when people have guests on is like how have you been doing and i think your answer is pretty typical where people start out like just like they were in the quarantine like chipper mm-hmm. and then it kind of like tails off <laughs> and they get like slowly more and more like and i've been reading yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um is there a, a favorite book you've had that you've read in quarantine that maybe you wouldn't have like had a chance to read is it the immortalists (laughs) well i did read the immortalists in the quarantine however i read david copperfield for the first time right before this and i loved it which sounds so cliche because you're like well it's david copperfield it's very famous of course it's going to be good but sometimes you read the classics and they kind of aren't you know they don't live up to their reputation (laughs) yeah i mean we've had a mixed record with classics here on this podcast so i think it's totally fair to go in with apprehension to that (laughs) yeah oh man i loved it though i bored my husband telling him about all the different characters (laughs) and he's like okay great (laughs) yeah i like dickens i i had that same experience with uh the three the three musketeers and the count of monte cristo and some dickens where it's like you forget that was like the serialized tv of the day you know like it's as exciting as it could possibly be every chapter ends with like sudden reveal or a dramatic confrontation yeah yeah and the characters are just so funny like you don't think yeah. you're gonna be laughing out loud as a at a character from like 200 <laughs> years ago but i have I, I like got so much joy out of reading that so i don't mean to blow up your spot here toby um oh. but i heard oh, no. tell as we were setting up that you uh, might have some shame for the first time in a long time Ooh. oh i do <laughs> I do have uh, a long time shame. Is that how I want to say that? No. You have a long time shame? You mean you, that's how you want to say it? Um, yes, I do have shame. Um, I visited, uh, for the brief time that it was open, because things were open for a little bit here in LA, I visited Stories, our local bookstore, and I bought, i actually been looking for a book like this for a long time. It's called The Mirage Factory, Illusion, Imagination, and the Invention of Los Angeles. Los Angeles. You did just say Los Angeles. <laughs> you know why? Because it's by Gary Christ. Yeah. So, I mean, so far, I am loving it. It's right up my alley. I, I think the most dad-like thing about me is my love of these, you know, detailed history books <laughs> or kind of more like fun history books where you can be like, did you? know? Um, so, yeah, you're talking about boring your husband, uh, Camille. I am definitely boring my wife with like, did you knows? Yeah. <laughs> You know, I love reading books like this, especially when you're in the city, because mm-hmm. you can kind of, uh, again, with my wife, I'm just bothering my wife with this book, but we're driving around town and I'm like, did you know there was a reservoir over there? And this is where the water came through. It's good times for her in quarantine. <laughs> but yes, that is my shame. Um, but I'm already reading it. So back off. 
Well, an update from one of our hosts. You may remember her. Her name's Bailey. Um, Who? But yeah, I know. Who? Who's that? <laughs> As we announced on the podcast last week, she had her baby, Dylan, and and, and her welcomed Maggie to the world. Um, both are still doing well. I am now out of quarantine and have met Maggie and can confirm that she is very cute and very nice. And she has many um, dinosaur-themed onesies. Mm-hmm. Um, That's pretty cute. And really likes uh, staring at her mobile that's in her crib. Cute. And I think that's all I can really update you on right now. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew. You have a book to read for this episode. What book was that? I read The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead. Choo-choo-choo. Choo-choo-choo, indeed. Yeah, I feel like a lot of our listeners may have read this one. I So I was sort of lagging behind in terms of having it still on my to-read list um, as it was a Pulitzer winner. Again, not a, not a spoiler of your research, Toby. And I believe a National Book Award winner in the same year. Oh, doing yeah. the double. Yeah. There you go. Camille, have you read this one? I have, and I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah. Me too. So full disclosure, um, because of the aforementioned taking care of, of Maggie in her in her infancy and also waking up incredibly early to work in New York City time, I only finished this book like an hour and a half ago. So I apologize if some of this review is sort of uh, stream of conscious. <laughs> um, but the good thing and the overarching thing about it is that it's a very positive review. Mm. Much harder to do a stream of consciousness review about something you don't really like. Yeah. yeah. So, um, but I do have a um, a log line that I can start with. The Underground Railroad by Colson Whitehead is the story of an enslaved woman named Cora as she attempts to escape the antebellum South via the Underground Railroad. In this world, a literal train. The story follows her and the people helping and hunting her as she makes her way across a nation bent on breaking her towards a world where she does not need to run. Yeah, I remember this book, like, I think I read it maybe the year after it came out, and I remember it being pitched then. The whole thing was, the Underground Railroad it's really a railroad. Yeah. That was, yeah. yeah. That's basically all I knew about the book going in is mm-hmm. that there would be trains. There will be trains. <laughs> there train guarantee. There's a big stamp, a big train stamp on the, on the cover of the book. <laughs> I weirdly didn't know that part going in. And then at some point reading it, I was like, oh my God, were there really trains? <laughs> I looked it up and was like, okay, you're stupid, Camille. I'm just like, he's such a good writer that I was almost yeah. convinced that that existed. Yeah, no, absolutely. And ba- Bailey told me not to say this, but I feel like you're in a safe. We're in a safe place now because Camille, you just admitted that <laughs> Bailey had the same reaction, <laughs> where she was yes. like, "I know, I know there there wasn't trains, but were there trains? Were there trains? <laughs> I literally, I kept being like, oh my god, I didn't think there were actual trains. Yeah, no, I think that's a common reaction uh, reaction to the book. And I mean, it's a testament to his skill as a writer, as you said, that it seems so plausible. He creates, and it's not just um, the trains, he creates a world where things are not exactly as they were historically. He adds like elements that are sort of more modern, but he does it in such a straightforward and like elegant way that the whole time you're like, oh yeah, no, totally. Thank mm-hmm. you, Coulson. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember being astounded at the confidence because, yeah, the, the trains is a big swing. Because I remember, I okay, to even backtrack to when I heard it, I was like, that idea sounds kind of dumb. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, I was like, oh, the Underground Railroad, but with actual trains? Huh, sounds like a gimmick. But then, yeah, like you said, like so many elements that are like anachronistic or a little bit strange, and it's all done with such confidence and such style that you're mm-hmm. like, yes, please, Golson. Yeah, no, exactly. And so, yeah, I'll just sort of jump into a little more of the plot. Um, 
So the book follows, as I said in the logline, uh, Cora, who is makes the decision to run away from her plantation in Georgia, um, and it follows her through her journey on the Underground Railroad with a series of companions, a sort of a rotating cast of folks for all kinds of reasons. It's really hard to talk about this book and not get into spoiler territory, and it's not a long book. It's only 300 pages, so I don't want to go too far down the road of like walking through, but it starts with, with Cora and her companion Caesar running away from from their plantation, being helped by a local merchant. Another cool thing about the book is that's sort of the overall story, Cora's journey um, toward a potential uh, freedom, but it's cut with these little short chapters um, where you get a deep dive into the backstory of a character who was involved in the previous section. And sometimes that's a character who like, it makes sense that they were the one who you wanted to get a perspective of, like Caesar, who I mentioned gets a side chapter. But then sometimes it's like a really ancillary character who doesn't really warrant much of a, a mention that, or like you wouldn't have expected to need a deep dive on them, but he's so deftly picks a character who has an aspect of the story that will just deepen the world he's created. For example, there's a doctor who's only briefly mentioned in one of the one of the sections who he gets a side chapter and it like explains the whole dynamics of death in that time of America or the whole dynamics of the of medicine in that time in America. Yeah, it's funny as you mentioned this, I, it's conjuring it in my mind. I forgot about that entirely. So I read this, you know, a while ago now and I, as soon as you said it, I was like, "Oh yeah, I think the doctor was probably one of my favorite what you know side trips um just because it was so unexpected no but that's the that's what's so sort of great about the book is you don't know that you need that story until it's given to you Mm -hmm. um and then it just like informs the rest of your experience of the of the book and i also appreciated it because what it allowed the story to do is take necessary jumps forward because it's segmented into like each of the longer sections about cora's journey are titled by a like a city or a state. I think it's actually all states um, that she's in at the time. And so it allows that natural time jump beyond just like a chapter ending and then immediately or like months in the future in a different location. Um, You have some time to sort of sit with what you've just read and then be welcomed into this new chapter of her life. I'd like to read some quotes because I think he's an amazing writer. He also, forgive me if this is part of your your research, but he won the Pulitzer this year too, right? I believe it was last year, but yeah, for the Nickel Boys. For the Nickel Boys. So, guys, I got to buy every book that Colson Whitehead's read, written. He's killer. I read the Nickel Boys as well, and I have to say, I liked it even more than the Underground Railroad. Really? Yes. So the first quote I want to read comes from page 85. It's an example of what Whitehead does here, where he uses very straightforward language that packs a punch at the end, or he will add in a detail at the end that solidifies a message that you didn't even know you were getting really Mm -hmm. until the last moment. This is from the beginning of the second large section of the book. And I, again, don't really want to go into spoilers here, but you're being introduced to a character who you don't know anything about at this time. This day, she packed a lunch of bread and jam for Maisie, took the boy for a walk, and cleaned the silverware and glassware. After Bessie changed the bedding, she and Raymond picked up Maisie from school, and they went to the park. A fiddler played the latest melodies by the fountain as the children and their friends diverted themselves with hide-and-seek and hunt the ring. She had to steer Raymond away from the bully, careful not to upset the rascal's mother, who she could not pick out. It was Friday, which means that she ended the day with the shopping. The clouds had moved in anyway. Bessie put the salt beef and milk with the rest of the supper makings on the family's account, she signed with an X. So, I mean, what you get there, it makes more sense in context, but you're learning about this woman, then all of a sudden you realize that she's a slave, or at least has not been taught to read or write. 
he provides this explanation, which creates this very clear picture of the world. And then he's like, but don't forget the reality of what's going on here. And I, I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. Another like tiny example of that is on page four. It's just another example of like simple language undercut by a really hard sentence at the end. Who knew what brand of mutiny the captives might cook up if they shared a common tongue? This was the ship's final port of call before they crossed the Atlantic. Two yellow-haired sailors rolled Agery out to the ship, humming, white skin like bone. Pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, pretty powerful stuff. And yeah, he, he creates a world where he can sort of decide how much to give you. And in doing that, it's like a very powerful um a very powerful way of experiencing this horrific, horrific thing. As I said, I don't have a lot of formal orcs to this. If I had any complaints about the book, it was that sometimes the supporting cast, you didn't quite get enough about them to become fully invested in them. Mm -hmm. 100%. Um, Like this book is a, is a, a violent book because it describes a violent world that reflects back on our violent world. So like, understandably, there are characters who, you know, don't get a lot of screen time in the mm-hmm. book because they don't live that long. Yep. I found myself at least, especially later on in the book where things are picking up every time he introduced a new character, just being like, should I get invested in this, this one, should I get <laughs> yeah. invested in this person? <laughs> so that was like one, one tiny orc, but just to sort of talk about the violence of this, of this book a little bit, I don't want to go too far into it. Um, but he does such an amazing job of creating a world where you just know that it's inherently, inherently violent towards the characters that you love in it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I think it's, for that reason, an amazing piece of writing that reflects on just sort of the way our country has treated its its black and, and other minority populations, um, specifically egregious violence of our country's original sin, you know? Yeah, I remember it being a sense of exhaustion building in me, yeah. which I could, you know, which I thought was really typical of the times, you know, it's like, it's so dangerous and so awful all the time that you get a little bit exhausted and you're like, oh, this is just a taste of what it must have been like, you yeah. know? And I would just like to close my review with um, one last quote, um, which I really like. It's from page 143, and it's from a section where Cora is stuck in a, um, uh, a situation where she doesn't really know when someone's coming to help. She's, she's trapped somewhere. Best to measure time now with one of Randall's plantation cotton scales. Her hunger and fear piling up on one side while her hopes were removed from the other in increments. The only way to know how long you are lost in the darkness is to be saved from it. And if any of these quotes made it seem like you should check out this book, uh, that was their intended effect. So <laughs> You should. I was just going to say, so often when we like books, we end up like reading quotes and always like the person reading the quote finishes and there's like a, this dead silence because you're just like, well, I was chatting and now I got hit in the face <laughs> with like an iron weight. Yeah. So yeah, I can't recommend this book highly enough. I think if you haven't read it, you should pick up a copy and read it. And don't be scared off by the the like warnings that I've put in about a violence and stuff. I mean, it is there. And if it's something you're sensitive to, maybe it's not the right time, but I will say that it is outweighed by the fact that it is a, a story that demands to be read. Yeah. And if you're one of the people who's already read this um, and you're wondering about the nickel boys, I'll just say it again. Nickel boys, five star book for me. I really enjoyed the Underground Railroad. I think I ended up giving it four stars. But yeah, I enjoyed the Nickel Boys even more. So if you, because I think more people have read the Underground Railroad than Mm -hmm. the Nickel Boys. And I do just want to say also, I put the question out to Instagram a few days ago. And listener uh, Brett Godwin, friend of the show, he said that he recently had the desire uh, to reread the Underground Railroad and said Mm -hmm. it was really rewarding to approach it a second time. I bet it would be. Yeah. yeah, I I mean, I definitely think, because it does propel you forward. I think there's definitely stuff I missed. 
Camille, how many times have you read the Underground Railroad? <laughs> Just the once so far, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well. All of that to say, I don't think it's uh, any secret. I'm rating this book five stars, and I am okay. keeping it on my shelf. Perfect. Uh, Camille, what would you, if you, I mean, we're not going to hold your feet to the fire, but if you remember well enough, what would you give this out of, out of five stars? I'm pretty sure this would be a five for me. I loved it. I, I really, and it stuck with me so well, like reading the quotes or hearing the quotes rather, just like totally brought me back and I could see the images in my head from when I read it. And that's been maybe two or three years ago. Like, I think I read it right when mm-hmm. it came out. So it's just so, I don't know how vivid it is and how much I like get excited thinking about it. I'm like, I think that's retained its five star status for me. That's a rare one. I'm not a five star yeah. giver generally. Oh, well, and it's all I, you know, I think we've all had that experience where you read something and you give it five stars and then it, the stars kind of fall yeah. off as time goes on. And you're like, oh, maybe not so much anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I've definitely had a few of those on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Look back on your reviews like, uh-uh. yeah, you give it a week or two and you're like, eh. I don't know and then you don't remember it a year later and you're like hmm i have definitely re-ranked things on my goodreads before <laughs> me too i mean it feels so cold to go in there and be like i'm taking because it's so intentional like you have to look it up in your list of red books and be like i'm taking this star away from you <laughs> oh, but it feels powerful doesn't it toby do you have any facts about about colson whitehead I do have some facts about Colson Whitehead. Well, the first, it's not quite a fact, but he's got an interesting name. His name, his full name is Arch Colson Chip Whitehead. Oh. Huh. That's Chip with two Ps. Thank you. Um, he was born November 6, 1969. Um, he's written seven books. Uh, the Underground Railroad was his sixth, um, and he won the 2016 National Book Award for Fiction for it and the 2017 Pulitzer Prize for Fiction. Um, he also won the Pulitzer Prize for Fiction again in 2020 for the Nickel Boys. So when you said it was this year and I said it was last year, you were 100% right. Result. <laughs> um, he's also, um, and I noticed this is a bit of a theme in our authors, he's also a recipient of the MacArthur Genius Grant. Okay. Which has to be so cool. It's so interesting to me because it's like it's like the Nobel Prize. If you didn't know you were being considered for the Nobel Prize, as in they just give you a phone call and they say you got it. Mm-hmm. There's a rotating uh, cast of anonymous reviewers, and they are bound by several NDAs, I believe, uh, to not tell you that they're looking for who they want to nominate for it. So everyone sitting at home, the next uh, unlisted number that calls you, <laughs> pick it up. It's probably someone calling to tell you you're a genius. <laughs> Uh, I, I do hear that if you don't pick up the phone call, you don't get it. Oh, so that's get on cool. that. I also hear that sometimes they lead off by saying that there's a problem with your car insurance. <laughs> yeah. and you have to give them your social security <laughs> number before they give you the MacArthur Genius Grant. Sometimes they text you offering CBD gummies. Mm. You have to reply to those texts. <laughs> um, so uh, Colson Whitehead grew up in Manhattan. He is one of four children to, uh, as Wikipedia describes them, successful entrepreneur parents. Mm. who owned an executive recruiting firm. So as a child, this is actually, I found this quite interesting. As a child, um, Whitehead went by his first name, Arch. Then he switched to Chip, and then he switched again to Colson. So he went to the um, Trinity School in Manhattan, and he graduated from Harvard University in 1991. Mm. I have heard of the university. I think I have too. Yeah, never heard of it. Um, so this is the rest of this is from uh, an interview he did with Terry Gross on Fresh Air with NPR. Your favorite gross. <laughs> it's so gross. <laughs> it's so great. I mean, y'all, if you're not listening to Fresh Air, come on, Pages. I'm, can you tell I'm really trying to make it happen? All right. Uh, so this is Terry Gross asking a question. Why did you want to write a novel about slavery and escaped slaves? 
had something happened in your life that made you want to immerse yourself in that history? Colson says, Actually, I was pretty reluctant to immerse myself in that history. It took 16 years for me to finish the book. I first had the idea in the year 2000, and I was finishing up a long book called John Henry Days, which had a lot of research. And I was just sort of, you know, getting up from a nap or something and thought, you know, what if the Underground Railroad was an actual railroad? You know, I think when you're a kid and you first hear about it in school or whatever, you imagine a literal subway beneath the earth. And then you find out it's not a literal subway and you get a bit upset. And so the book took off from that childhood notion. And that's a premise, not much of a story. So I kept thinking about it. And I thought, what if every state our hero went through, as he or she ran north, was a different state of American possibility? So Georgia has one sort of take on America and in North Carolina, sort of like Gulliver's Travels. The book is rebooting every time the person goes to a different state. Terry asks, what's some of the slang or other language that you got from reading slave narratives or reading the WPA oral histories? Colson answers, well, I mean, you know, one person's just like, yeah, once a year we get a new pair of wooden shoes from Master. I was like, you wore wooden shoes? I mean, that's, it was grueling and mind boggling to go back 200 years and think about people and the conditions they lived in, the food, you know, just a biscuit in the morning and then you have to work for 10 hours in the hot sun under the fear of being, you know, beaten. And I think in the years where I mold writing the book. Should I write it now or should I not do it? You know, part of it was the fear of confronting the reality of slavery. And once I started doing the research, I realized how much I was going to have to put my protagonist and all her friends through. And that became a different level of being daunted by how my great-great-grandparents lived and struggled. Yeah, it's one thing to research something that's difficult and hard to research. It's a whole other thing when it's part of the fabric of your history. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, so this is the final excerpt from the interview. Terry says, Your grandfather owned a chain of funeral homes in New Jersey. Did you grow up with a lot of conversations about death and dead bodies? Colson says, You know, well, my parents, he passed away when I was very young. And my, my mother was raised, you know, if you've seen Six Feet Under, the family that lives in the house where they do the services and do the embalming. And that was her setup. So she grew up having to run the house. And in the basement, that's where all the dead bodies were and where all the prep went on. And so, you know, the business is still in the family. Her sisters run it in New Jersey. There was a lot of talk of death in our house because we all love horror movies. And so the family ritual on Thanksgiving, we'd have a nice big dinner of turkey and then watch two splatter movies. <laughs> and I love that excerpt because I want to be there with the Whitehead family watching yeah. horror movies after Thanksgiving. <laughs> what a moment. Uh, and Terry Gross mentions it in the interview. Um, but if you want to read even more Colson Whitehead, he wrote a book called Zone One, um, which is about a zombie apocalypse in New York. What? That sounds great. It's very cool. It's very literary take, uh, but it is very grisly. Like, if you think the violence in Underground Railroad is intense, this is even more so. Oh, wow. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm... I just, yeah, I'm excited to read any and all Colson Whitehead that I can get my hands on now, frankly. He's got seven. You yeah. got six to go. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Toby, Camille, what did you two pick up this uh, past couple weeks? In terms of a book to read, you could pick oh. up other things, yeah. <laughs> Water. My cat. Dinner. Yeah. <laughs> what book did y'all read? <laughs> we read The Immortalists by Chloe Benjamin. Maybe not quite as amazing a book as The Underground Railroad. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh-oh. But that's saying something, because that book was amazing indeed. Yes. Uh, so just real quick, uh, how did you find this book? Because honestly, before you picked it for the podcast, I'd never heard of it. Um, 
this is one of those books that I think like if you're in a female book club, it just sort of comes <laughs> up and it's like written by a woman. It's sort of like book club trendy. And so someone in my book club that I've been in for like a decade and a half had been wanting to read it and then we read something else. So it was like on everyone's radar for a while. I thought you were about to confess to not reading it for the book club <laughs> and then doing it for this podcast instead. <laughs> What a publicly facing way to admit to having not read a book for book club. <laughs> I always read my books for book club. Almost always. Um, no, actually, we ended up picking this, or someone picked it for our book club, like the week that you reached out to have me on the podcast. And so I think I told you, I was like, oh, I'm reading David Copperfield, or I could read The Immortalist. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I could do both. Yeah, and I think I was like, I have two weeks to read this. Let's do the Immortalist. <laughs> yeah, David Copperfield in two weeks would probably be a challenge. But anyway, so I I had thought it sounded really great from reading about it in preparation for my book club. So I thought this might be a fun, you know, lighter one to talk about on the to read list pod. Um. So yeah. So go dive on in. What did, What did you think? I know I have my opinions, but what did you think of the Immortalists? What's it about? Oh, yeah, you have a logline well, for us, don't you? I have a logline for you, so I can answer that question. Um, all right. The Immortalists by Chloe Benjamin is a modern, sprawling family drama that follows the gold children through touch points of the 20th century as they wrestle with love, loss, disappointment, and fate, asking the question, how would you live your life if you knew your future? What a killer logline. Thank you so much. I was really worried about doing it. <laughs> Yeah, I gotta say I'm intrigued based on that logline, but worried based on how you've introduced it. <laughs> I will say the premise for this book is really great, and that's why I was excited to read it. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't totally end up delivering on the premise, but the story begins with these three children. Isn't it? F- wait, isn't it four? Four. Yes. Sorry, there are four children. <laughs> I was like, did, did I say I read three? The right book? No, no, no. Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, no. There's four kids. I even know their names. I don't know why I said three. Um, so they're just like living life in the Lower East Side, which is like one of, was one of my favorite neighborhoods when I lived in New York. It's kind of before it got gentrified when they're living there. So the place is really like strong at the beginning of the book, mm-hmm. and these kids hear of this fortune teller who will tell you the day that you're going to die. And even though one of them's like seven, they all go to see her and they meet with her separately and she tells them each what day they'll die. And they each get a different answer, although you don't know them at first. And the whole book just like follows each of the children separately as they grow up and they approach their death days yes conveniently enough the death days they've been prescribed are like one decade apart so <laughs> yeah. you can move through american history with these children i know i know there's there's a couple like sort of ham-handed things like that where you're like oh well the youngest one has the soonest death date and he just happens to <laughs> you know, live through 70s San Francisco. And I mean, of course, he's going to die young. And what do you think he, he gets in 70s, early 80s San Francisco? There, So there's a few things that are a little forced. I, although I will say that story, Simon's story was probably my favorite of the four. I felt so sure that I was going to agree with you about this because it's by far the strongest part of the book, in my opinion. I mean, by leaps and bounds. But honestly, like it was so affecting and I loved his storyline. Like being in that world was really, Mm -hmm. really um, moving to me, especially like 
living in our pandemic times and like the fear of people not knowing why they're getting sick and how to prevent getting sick was it really rang true to me yeah i i found that it's fair to say i mean correct me if you think i'm wrong camille but the book is basically broken up into four sections Mm -hmm. and each of them tackles kind of a decade and a place um and that portrait of kind of the burgeoning Castro district and it kind of establishing itself. Yeah, by far the most gripping and engaging storyline. And I was, when I was reading that section, I was like, man, this book rocks. Yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> and then too. that section ended. <laughs> I would agree. And I also felt like just generally the structure, I got diminishing returns on every character. Did you feel that way? <laughs> well, I, I I loved Simon, yeah. who's the youngest, and um and then it goes to Clara. Um I really I think she hers was my least favorite. Oh really? Life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it was a weird one. Uh your life not a not, fan. Not a fan. Well, it, but, Simon liked your one. <laughs> <laughs> but it really is you you really are getting like not quite a life story, but you know, in a way a life story of each of these characters mm-hmm. and it's presented as such and so you really do get to pick, you know, who is your favorite who's your least favorite and clara was my least favorite and then probably oh what's Var- varia? varia yeah yeah varia you know after that and then i like daniel he was his story was good but uh, we're going out of order now yeah i mean <laughs> for me with clara's story i thought it was interesting i totally didn't get it like something she's a magician yeah. andrew and she's like into doing like these sort of illusions and stuff and i didn't feel like i understood the illusions at all so no if you're reading a lot like a whole 100 page section about magic but you don't understand the magic <laughs> or even what it would look like i found it like really frustrating to read that part i found it uh like a, a comparison i thought in my mind is have you ever tried to learn a magic trick you know like a sleight of hand and you and you're looking at someone like teaching you how to do it on youtube or something and you're like i still don't I get still it i don't get it. <laughs> yeah that's that's how i felt about her section and then it's, it's an interesting thing to bring up the whole book has this kind of element to it where it's almost magical realism mm-hmm. in that, you know, spoiler alert, this woman who predicts their deaths does so with a fair amount of accuracy. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get too far into it. But then especially in the Clara section, there are heavy magical realism aspects that I couldn't tell what point they were serving in the story. I would agree with that. And I, it just didn't really add up to anything in her story for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she seemed of, of all the kids who are kind of wrestling with their fate and wrestling with their death date she seemed the one who was the most railroaded towards what the author wanted to happen for her yeah which i don't want to spoil but would you agree with that i would agree with that and i felt like her story was just pretty frustrating i i think i i did enjoy it probably second most but <gasps> i know but it still it had these frustrations and it also felt so no spoilers but like it felt very abrupt and a little bit forced mm-hmm. the end yep. of her story and i didn't really understand the end of her story where everything turns out fine yeah, right Camille? absolutely a happy happy ending that makes me quite sad for you because if she was your second favorite i know then that's like <laughs> less than halfway through the book <laughs> well like i said i think i liked them each story less and less less and less <laughs> <laughs> yeah um if we're going chronologically i actually did like the character daniel who's the third mm-hmm. and um the 
the second oldest. But there were so many things that I found like bothersomely anachronistic in his story. Like he's a medical doctor post 9-11 for the army and he he gets called like a liberal snowflake at some point. And I could not get over that because I was like, there's no way anybody was being called a snowflake right after (laughs) 9-11. Like that just felt so uh, out of time for me. Yeah, I'd agree with that. But okay. I don't know. So there were little little things like that where that one started to take me out. And then uh, that happened more and more as I got in the second half of the book. Yeah. So it sounds like you and I had a pretty similar overall reaction to this book, which was, I mean, I'll just say what I thought and you can tell me what you think. Mm-hmm. I mean, Chloe Benjamin, some of the writing is really superb. Mm-hmm. Um, her grasp of imagery and like, and just the way she expresses some really particular emotions it really got me. Simon's story had me emotional. It had me excited and thrilled and then very, very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was just, there are parts of this that I really loved. But yeah, overall, there's just some clunky bits and some, and yeah, ultimately more than half of it fell flat for me. What did you think? Yeah, I would agree with that. And I do think that she's got some really beautiful writing and there were certain things, especially about like how we all deal with our fate and how, and our expectations and our lost dreams in our life that like were really moving. But it kind of felt like a first draft of a book because like those would be sort of like in the middle of a part that you weren't really enjoying story-wise so yeah i think i would have if this book had just been about simon and i had stretched for a whole book i would have loved it i could have been into that too i just like his story was fantastic and i actually cried towards the end of the book when some of the characters or one of the characters specifically from simon's story reappears in the in the varia end and i was like oh my gosh like i didn't realize how much i missed this character and that world because it was just it was really good and very very moving well you're literally i was listening to to it and I was like, oh, I remember when I liked this book. <laughs> Dare I ask um, for star rankings from either of you? Why don't you go first? All right. I didn't hate it. I really was like, <laughs> I and I read it quickly and I kind of enjoyed reading it, to be honest. So I was like, well, I think it's a three. I think it's a three and a half to a three, but I'm going to go three, which is not terrible. Yeah. Like, no. I mean, on Goodreads, when you hover over it, it says liked it. I know um, three stars. Yeah. So I I gave I gave it three stars as well. I yeah. Um. There were parts that I really enjoyed. I wanted to give it more. I, I you know too. the parts that I enjoyed I really enjoyed. And I almost would be if I saw another book by this author come out and I liked the premise of that one. Yeah. I'd probably give it a shot. Yeah. I agree. Like she's a, as we said, like she there's some really lovely writing, and I think that this premise was really great. It just didn't totally deliver for me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't like not read another book of hers. But it's just funny when these books become very big and trendy, and you're like, oh, it is only her second book. Like when she's yeah. on her seventh book, you might be like, oh wow, like this lady's amazing. And then it's the kind of book like if I loved her book five books from now, I'd probably come back and be like, oh. This was really good, you know, as she was yeah, growing you as a have writer. Affection built yeah. In. yeah, I mean, I'll say it. Zone One by Colson Whitehead. It's no Nickel Boys. Yeah. It's no Underground Railroad. <laughs> it's fun, but I mean, yeah, he's certainly gotten better over time. So, I mean, he didn't win the Pulitzer Prize for that one, did he? No, it's true. Uh, and it's fun to revisit like people's early works. It's just interesting when you read an early work and you're like, yeah, I think this is an early work. It reads like it. Yeah. 
Well, I'm I'm really glad that we agree. Mm-hmm. Me too. <laughs> I was because because I well because I was reading it and I was like, oh man, like she picked the Camille picked the book. What if you know? What if I'm the one coming in here saying all this negative stuff? But. Uh, yeah, it sounds like we had almost uh, yeah very similar reading experiences. Yeah, I have one question for you that I'm just yes. in, I've talked to everyone who's read it about. Like, if you were given the opportunity to find out the day of your death, would you take that? Oh man, what a good question. <laughs> um, no, me either. Hundred percent no. I don't yeah. want to know Andrew? anything. <laughs> I have the same answer that Chloe Benjamin has, which I have in my facts. Oh wow. Segway. Never, never miss an opportunity to tease. <laughs> uh, uh, so that's perfect segue. Andrew, do you have some facts about Chloe Benjamin? Yes, I do. <laughs> perfect. All right. So Chloe Benjamin, she falls into that same trap of a lot of contemporary writers where we're forced to basically rely on their personal website and whatever interviews you can find. Mm-hmm. This is sort of limited in terms of actual biography, but we have some facts here. She is originally from San Francisco and she grew up to gay parents um, in San Francisco. So I'm wondering if maybe some of the the reason that that section rang so true to you is that she had like a true love of that place and like a a window into it yeah i I will say it makes you want to live in san francisco in the 80s and 90s real bad yeah it makes me actually quite sad i'm from the san francisco bay area i'm not from san francisco but um the way people talk about san francisco back in the day is with a massive affection that i honestly don't feel for it these days yeah Um, so it was a bit sad to me honestly Mm -hmm. um benjamin is a graduate of vassar college I would argue one of the the, the better <laughs> colleges to go to. She also went on to get an MFA in fiction at the University of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, and then a lot of what I have uh, from her comes from an interview with Bookselling This Week. Oh, I love Bookselling This Week. <laughs> That's your favorite. <laughs> so Bookselling This Week asks, um, who I will henceforth refer to as BTW, because that's how they refer to themselves after that. <laughs> okay. um, how did you come up with the idea for this story? Chloe Benjamin says, I think it just came out of my own anxieties and neuroses. I've always struggled with uncertainty and the fact that we don't know how long we have in the world, which is kind of the greatest uncertainty there is. And of course, we also don't know what happens afterwards. So I think it came about organically. And here, what I've been teasing, the question. (gasps) BTW asks, how would you personally answer the book's central question? Would you, given the choice, want to know the date of your own death? Chloe Benjamin. I've gotten that question a lot since I started doing interviews, and I always say that I would want to know, but only if the news was good. Otherwise, I wouldn't. Would you? It's funny. I've only encountered two people who would say that they would want to know, and that's after doing publicity since May. So these people are few and far between, but I'm always very curious about them. I feel like the kind of like scary fortune teller slash like cursed arcade machine that is going to give you this information is not going to give you the option like, well, it's bad news. Do you still want it? Like, Yeah. So to that point, I would not ask. A fortune teller. It's funny if they told you, if you said, okay, I only want to know if it's good news. And then they're like, well, I better not tell you then. <laughs> yeah, that's basically like, the oh, same as telling oh. you. <laughs> oh, oh no. <laughs> anyway, wear a helmet. <laughs> um, just a few other things about Chloe. On her website, she curates a uh, blog of favorite sentences in literature that she mm. finds which I thought was kind of cool. And it includes selections from some to-read list favorites, mm. um, oh. such as A Little Life by Hanya Yanagihara, um, which Bailey is a particular fan of. Um, Middlemarch by George Eliot of Toby fame. Wood, wood. And by of Toby fame, I mean the classic that Toby has read. <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm comfortable with you saying of Toby fame. <laughs> <laughs> and Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. Um, also of Toby fame. Also, um, and the sentence that she has in there is the um, one that said, history has failed us, but no matter, which actually we talked about specifically on that episode. Um, and I recommend scrolling through. It's it's kind of fun to get this uh, selection of beautiful sentences. And it made me want to read some of the books that I saw on that list that are perhaps on my to-read list. Uh, I was like, oh, I guess I should nice. pick up this one. She's also the author of a novel called The Anatomy of Dreams, which is her debut novel. It received a few awards upon its release. And her Twitter bio describes her as an olive enthusiast and a Midwest <laughs> convert. And to that point, she lives in Madison, Wisconsin with her husband. And eats a lot of olives. I am an olive hater. Oh, what? no. Get him away from me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have a question. I've been I've been uh, developing Andrew, a theory here. We really need to rescind our gift, Camille, for being <laughs> on the podcast. <laughs> a bouquet of olives. <laughs> yeah, a bouquet. It's on we, all we, long toothpicks. Yeah, we got you an olive bouquet, and we also got a portrait of you done exclusively in varieties of olives. Yeah. <laughs> what? Um, <laughs> that was such a specific choice for someone you don't know that well. Yeah, no, it's well, a... You know. No one else has not liked it. Yeah. Camille. <laughs> I am in the minority here on the olive thing i do yeah. have a theory about this do you like pickles no yeah i feel like those those two things go hand in hand just yeah. the brininess the brine. yeah, yeah i don't like yeah. anything pickled really mm. Mm. well more for us then <laughs> i'll send you back the bouquet <laughs> yeah please do i'll add it to my portrait gallery of olive <laughs> um so yeah that is uh that is the facts i have on chloe benjamin good facts andrew good facts indeed all right, Andrew, do you have a game for us this week? I do. I do. Let me open my little notebook where I keep my games. <laughs> <laughs> so this is going to be one of those games where I put the onus on you guys to be a little bit creative and, um, for lack of a better way of explaining it, entertain me. Oh. Um, <laughs> okay, okay. No pressure. Um, during uh, my review of The Underground Railroad, I mentioned specifically something I really loved about his writing was that he would hit you at the end of paragraphs with these really short sentences that sort of summed up a big idea. So I was hoping... If I gave you famous stories or famous books, could you sum them up in three words in a way that would Ooh. delight me, <laughs> would surprise and delight me? <laughs> Absolutely, we can. I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead with Camille's improv background and say yes, and we will do it very well. <laughs> um, I'm gonna call this game three word story. Oh, All right. Okay. Sometimes simple is better. But yeah, so the idea is I will give you um, the title of a famous story or novel, and you guys will sum it up in three words. Whichever one I like first will get an indiscriminate amount of points that I will award, um, and you are able to get partial credit. It's not a binary. One wins and one loses. Okay. All right. We'll start with one of the tales as old as time. I'd love to hear your three word version of The Odyssey. Ooh. All right. Toby, you, you sound ready? In Greek homeward bound. <laughs> That's so much funnier than mine. <laughs> well, you have the advantage, Camille, of um, of going second and trying to to, to top Greek Homeward Bound. A ten-year tour. <laughs> okay, Toby, you're going to get three points for that. Yes. Three for the number of animals that are in the movie Homeward Bound. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, sassy Chance and Shadow. Oh. <laughs> good poll. Good poll. 
And um, Camille, I am going to give you one point um, because I do enjoy imagining the Odyssey done in the style of Gilligan's <laughs> Island <laughs> with a laugh track and like yeah. Odysseus trying to invent a coconut phone. <laughs> I mean, it gets pretty hairy in there at times. I can't believe they named the cat Sassy. That is a first draft name. Well, the cat is quite sassy. She's voiced by Sally Field. Oh, is she? Michael J. Fox's chance. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's our other that's our other podcast. Our other podcast uh, is only talking about the first Homeward Bad movie <laughs> for hours on end. I have seen it many times, so I could be on that podcast. <laughs> um, all right, round number two. Your friend and my favorite, Moby Dick. All right, this is on the nose. I got one. Okay. Literary white whale. Oh, okay. I'm going to go. I don't even need all three words. Uh oh. <laughs> I'm just going to go whale tail. <laughs> <laughs> so we know that it's about a whale. Um, okay. Hmm. <laughs> I think I'm going to split the spoils on this one and award you each one point. Yay. Because you guys That's both fair. went very literal. Um, and there's nothing wrong with going literal, but, you know, it didn't let us go on a riff about Homeward Bound. <laughs> no. no, no Homeward Bound references. <laughs> I see. I see how the scoring is. Yeah, the work. scoring is exclusively on, on the amount of references <laughs> okay, okay. to the classic film Homeward Bound. All right. Considering you've just read uh, a, a Dickens book, Camille, you might be well placed for this one. We're going to go with Oliver Twist. Okay, this is me shamelessly trying to get more points. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Shadow of Orphans. <laughs> Shadow. <laughs> yep. Shadow being the golden retriever who, <laughs> Homeward Bound who just makes it out of the pit to spoil Homeward Bound. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Uh, sassy orphan story. <laughs> I mean, he is sassy. You're copying me. <laughs> Let the record show. I would have said, yes, there's more. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. I was oh, trying I like to it. work in the uh, the Disney adaptation somehow, <laughs> but I couldn't remember any any specifics at all about it. All right, Camille, you're getting two points for oh, that one yay. because you followed. Toby, I'm only going to give you one for this. <laughs> Sassy. Yeah. Sassy's in there. It's good, but you literally copied what Camille did. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... We're going to do one more round. Toby, you are ahead five to four. Yes. Um, so good job. However, because looks the points like are arbitrary. Looks like someone's in my shadow. Oh, oh sassy. Give me a chance. <laughs> <laughs> wow, guys. That was pretty good. That was bing, bang, boom. We can just um, end the podcast there. there. Um, this time, uh, I would like to do one that's less of a set story and more of a story that we have a lot of mythology around. Um, I wanted to know your three-word summary of the story of King Arthur. Um, round table roundup. That's pretty good. Okay. Uh, and Camille, do you have a last one? Yeah, I think I got this one. The Incredible Journey. <laughs> <laughs> Oh no! I mean, one could argue that implies to applies to a lot of stories. Um, if I'd only thought of it. Then. Oh no! All right, Camille, you're getting three points for that. Oh no! Right. And Toby, I'm going to give you one for a roundtable oh. roundup. I do really like it. To be clear, I was trying to get pizza in there somehow. I mean, three <laughs> words is so few words, guys. So congratulations, Camille. That puts you at seven points. Woo-hoo. Two Toby's six. So it was a very close game. Um, <sighs> I'm glad we all have made it home safely to the end of this game to the end of this journey (laughs) (laughs) we're united with our our kids who missed us when we ran away when they were at their aunt's house or whatever it was yeah something Something like that that. i don't remember so this is our most bizarre game we've ever done (laughs) but i'm very happy it happened um but it brings us to the end of our podcast and the choosing of our next books 
which is really exciting. So I can go ahead and, and tell the listeners what Andrew and our next guest, Jillian, his fiance, yes. um, are going to be reading, and they're going to be reading The Girls by Emma Klein. Oh, I love that one. Oh, you've read it. I have. I love it. I'll be excited to hear the episode. Yeah, I'm excited. It's number 28 on my list. Uh, excited to dig into it. Um, and really excited to uh, have Jillian on the podcast um, in a couple weeks. Um, Toby, are you ready for your pick? Yes, for I'm your ready. choosing? The choosing. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm ready for it. Ooh, 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 ooh. Okay. Firing up the random number generator here, and it's landing on number 51, The Proposal by Jasmine Guillory. Toby, you are maybe wondering what this is. Maybe because you don't have an immediate reaction. Yeah, this I don't is... remember putting it on there at yes, all. Well, Toby, this is a romance novel that oh. you added because Bailey, you had said you had never really read a romance novel and Bailey brought in a few options and you decided to put this one on your list. Oh, wow. I'm very excited. Do and you now a... your romantic chickens are coming home to roost. <laughs> um, do you have a synopsis for, for me? All right. Here is the like first paragraph of the Goodreads summary. When freelance writer Nicole Patterson goes to a Dodgers game with her actor boyfriend, his man bun, and his bros, the last thing she expects is a scoreboard proposal. Saying no isn't the hard part. They've only been dating for five months, and he can't even spell her name correctly. The hard part is having to face a stadium full of disappointed fans. Wow. I am amped. This is exactly what I need in quarantine right now. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like it's going to be a departure from your normal reading habits, but it could just be a lot of fun. I think it's going to be a ton of fun, yeah. It'll dovetail nicely with my L.A. history book. It's going to be great. Yeah, there you go. Well, before we close out uh, the podcast for this week, I just want to say thank you, Camille, so much for coming on. My pleasure. I had a great time. Yeah, thank you so much. Is there anything you want to shout out? Any, yeah, is there anything you want to shout out? I just want to thank you guys for allowing me to share my arcane knowledge of Homeward Bound and Incredible Journey. That was the greatest gift I could have asked for. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't really have anything to shout out right now. My husband, who was on the podcast with me before, we have kind of, uh, we did a couple episodes of our podcast, Hashtag SoLA, during quarantine, which are very insane. Um, I'm not sure sure i recommend them but if you're really bored then that's something you could look for <laughs> it is a fun podcast if you enjoy the the crazier parts of this episode i highly recommend it <laughs> basically what we do but yeah otherwise um i'm just uh trying to stay sane and you guys helped me out today so i appreciate that yeah and thank you so much camille we, yeah. we really appreciate it this is amazing all right thanks guys um, if you enjoy this podcast, uh, please go on to your podcast rating app of choice and rate it five stars. We appreciate it so much. It helps us be more visible, get more listeners. We do find out about it. It brightens our day. Come on, guys. Use those fingies. Also, if, if you enjoyed the podcast, I hope you um, tell a friend. Uh, word of mouth is a great way for us to find more listeners. It's probably our number one way. And um, especially during these times where people are perhaps looking for more ways to entertain themselves, maybe they're looking for more podcasts. So very much appreciate it if you told a friend and thank you thanks for listening to the to read list if you want to get in contact with us you can email us at the to read list podcast at gmail.com follow us on goodreads at goodreads.com slash the to read list podcast we're also on facebook and instagram at to read list podcast and on twitter at to read list pod thank you to toby and camille for co-hosting this podcast with me this week and also thank you to miss jillian beth durkee for composing our intro song see you next week happy reading books books books, books. books.